Welcome to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast, the podcast for serious soccer players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their soccer careers. And now, here's your host, Matt Langoni. Welcome to another episode of New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Today I'll be joined by Milton Academy Boys Soccer Head Coach Chris Kane. Chris, thanks so much for joining the pod today. Thanks so much for having me. Chris, obviously, we're, we're two days removed from Milton Academy winning the Class A championship, a, a tremendous achievement for the program, uh, especially you and I were talking before before we started the show here, just how wide open the tournament was this year and, and the gauntlet that you guys had to run to, to capture that championship, the first one for the program since 2015. So just overall thoughts on, on what you guys achieved and, and how you were able to do it. Yeah, well... Uh... First of all, thank you for, for having me, and thank you for the great work uh, all season, shining a spotlight on the, the many great stories in New England soccer and New England prep school soccer. And certainly as we reflect on the season, there's a lot of appreciation for the for the growth and work of our kids, and I think certainly the feeling now is one of, of a job well done, but really a lot of pride in the work that the kids have put in to grow as a group over the course of the season. And I think this is one of the deepest tournaments I've seen, one of the most evenly uh, balanced tournaments I've seen. I think any of the teams in it had a chance to win it. So certainly I think the uh, competitiveness parity and I think the um, overall quality of New England soccer was really on display. And I think for our group to uh, end the season as New England champions is something we're really humbled and honored by. Yeah, I got to say, we we do our, our predictions throughout the tournament. And I guess this is the hardest year I think it was to to make the predictions. I'll pat myself on the back because in the quarterfinals, I was four for four. I got I nailed all those. But after that, I mean, once you got to that final four, you could make a case for any any program to win it. You guys all had tremendous rosters, tremendous talent, different strengths, kind of a contrast of styles. What stood out to me in the championship match for you guys is you had Taft kind of on the ropes, I felt like, in the first half. You, you just had them kind of sitting back and, and almost they weren't able to generate any attack because they were. I think they were had to be so concerned with what you guys had up front. And I think the wind factored in a couple balls sailed over the post, but you had chances. Uh, did you just feel like throughout the year that your roster was such that you had that balance and that that depth throughout the roster that it was you you could come at teams in waves a little bit i certainly think that we're fortunate to have depth and balance and i think we really coach our program to be a place where kids can come and get better and and that's really the focus and i think that means one through in our case 30 on our roster they're all they're getting better and ready to step in and i think certainly over the course of a season you need that depth and balance and we try to be able to play different ways and against different opponents different ways, but I would certainly um, you know, highlight the, the competitiveness of the teams we, we saw and over in the quarterfinals was an incredibly hard fought. I mean, it's by a single penalty kick. That's as tight of a margin as there can be. So certainly kudos to them and their team this season. Northwood Mount Hermon, I mean, I said in the New England semifinals, you had four teams that had a total of two losses. Um, <laughs> And so to say that all those teams certainly would have been worthy champions and the NMH program is, is one that I have a ton of respect and admiration for. And I think certainly to be able to make it to that point in the season undefeated as they were was a testament to them and their culture. In terms of Taft, I mean, I think Taft plays soccer beautifully and I think they have a team that is incredibly deep and talented and I think really well coached by Ozzy. And I think, I think that game was a really tight game. I think we had a little bit more of the ball, but I think in the semifinals and over had or quarterfinals and over had more of the ball. 
And so there's different ways to, to play games, and I think Taft certainly did a great job to make it a super competitive game throughout, and certainly we were really fortunate to get the goals in the moments we had. I don't think we really uh, outshot them by a, a huge margin and dominated the chances in a really uh, overwhelming way. And certainly to Ozzy, who's been there a number of times, I think it's a testament to his program's consistency that they've been there, but also I think they compete with such class and I think represent the best of the sportsmanship ideals that we look for in the league. For sure. That game was, it, it was a pleasure to watch. You guys obviously came away with the two nothing win over Taft and, and, impressive fashion in the in the manner that you won but Taft played their hearts out and they they I think Taft was probably and I think Ozzy would admit this too I think they were a little spent from having to win a penalty kick shootout the the day before on Saturday against Worcester Academy and it speaks to kind of the the nature of this tournament where you have to win three games in five days in in soccer and if anyone's ever played soccer it's it's really hard to play and then come back the next day and play again I mean with the some of these players going 90 minutes just just speak to that like kind of like war of attrition that it takes to win this yeah i think it is the bounce the back to back on that saturday sunday is really tough and i think to put your heart and soul into that game on a on a saturday to go into overtime that was us last year uh against nmh in a super hard fought game that went to penalty kicks and uh we lost a couple players in that game and uh, I do think uh, in those types of games and moments having the depth to lean into is 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 so important and there were kids who were playing uh, in the New England semifinal who hadn't played um, you know as many meaningful minutes in in other games recently but who stepped in and were ready to go and I think that next man up mentality is certainly a huge one at this point in the season and I think when we think about kind of cultivating depth and really cultivating development in our program I think it's great to see when those moments get big that both we have the trust uh, in those kids and that those kids you know respond but I do think it's a battle and I think two days you know, two games back to back is is really tough, and 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 the kids all to leave it on the field like they did. It's a testament to their uh, effort, determination, fitness, and heart. I want to come back to the the run that you guys went on this year, obviously with the three victories, three super impressive wins. But go back to last November, November of twenty twenty two, to lose in the manner that you guys did in the championship match in Lancaster, Mass, to Worcester Academy in a, in a penalty kick shootout. That was a phenomenal championship game. I mean, two teams that were, we got two of those in a row. 2021 was the same thing with Taft and Northfield Mount Hermon, just phenomenal regulation overtime. And then a penalty kick shootout where you, you, you hate to see it because someone's going to come away with the loss. You guys came away with the loss last year. How much did that um, memory weigh on the players this year? How much of that was a theme that you spoke about this year to kind of get that redemption? Yeah, I don't think there was a real sense of redemption, but I do think, in our program, we really believe in challenge leading to growth, and I think to have the opportunity to, to have a challenge of a New England final against a great team, I think it's one you're going to grow through, and I think grow in terms of confidence and understanding, and so so we viewed that certainly as something we grew from, and I think it was interesting, right after the final last year, I was able to go to an event as an awesome consortium of schools that is a part of this international scholarship, and there was a great speaker who came to speak and shared a quote that really was fantastic, and it's a Kipling quote, and, and, and to me, it kind of put a lot in perspective, and the quote is, if you can meet success and failure and treat them both as imposters, then you are a balanced man. Hmm. And I think the idea, like, I honestly feel, in a weird way, very similar to where I did last year, at the end of last year, because I actually felt our group believed in themselves, they grew in their belief, they grew over the season, they really did it with joy and fun and togetherness, and... And when it got tough, they were so there for each other. And so and so to me, I actually feel in, in a certain way, we learned about how together we can be and how much we believe in each other and how the response in those moments, like, what's the worst you're going to have? Miss a PK and your teammates are there. And it was really 
touching in a lot of ways because when we finished our season, regular season, with a win over Nobles, and a lot of our alums were back, and the same was at the finals. But uh, both times we broke it down on our alums, and one of our alums who was there on the sidelines with us this this year was uh, the captain of the 2019 team that had lost in PKs and actually had the scorebook from his uh, season in our in my bag that day, actually, ironically. But I would say that sort of history of being together through the good and the bad is, I think, kind of what our history of our program is really about. And I think I think the the good and the bad were together in both both years. The season's over, and I think that's the sad thing for us. We get a chance to celebrate, but um, making it to the end of the season on that weekend and knowing no matter what the season ends, there's a bittersweet feeling with that, um, even in victory. And um, But I think with that, this, this program's about staying connected, and I think that's what's been really special about my coaching is I think the, the connections in the program. So you end up as the, the Class A runner-up last year. I think everybody looking at it from afar says, okay, Milton's – going to be back again this year i mean they got they got a lot of talent they got some young talent that's going to develop over the course of, of the of the year and get better coming in 2023 you have the gatorade player of the year last year who ends up leaving the program and probably everyone looking into that says oh they now they just lost our their best player so maybe they won't maybe they'll take a step back maybe they won't be as good how were other players in the team able to rally and and kind of fill the void left left behind there yeah well i think we we felt like we lost some huge leaders and players last year. I think we lost we did lose you know ten seniors and seven starters from last year's team. Uh, we felt really great about the experience and the group returning, but I would say we had a smaller senior class in a lot of ways. We had a single captain, Anthony Rosito, who's been as influential of a captain and leader as we've had in the program, and really set the tone in terms of kind of positivity, selflessness, kind of work ethic, as well as with his play. And I would say a lot of the other guys, certainly around him as seniors, Danny Lee, Christian Kakome, Justin Chen, all seniors who stepped in and played huge roles in the team in different ways. Justin was a kid who came through the middle school, was uh, on our JV, originally pulled up from our JV to our varsity because he did so well and was such a great worker and was somebody who consistently made strides and scored the fourth goal against NMH. And I think he's a great example of what we look for in our program. And then the junior class and then the younger students really stepped up. And I would say losing Khan's goal scoring was, was, was massive. And I think he produced a huge percentage of our, of our offense last year. So for us to become, I think, what is a, maybe a, a more dynamic and certainly more complete uh, offensive team without him is a testament to the work of, of the players. And, um, you know, one of the guys I think really obviously stood out in that regard and really grew was Alfred Debat. I mean, mm. he's he's fantastic. And I was sort of joking with him at one point. I think one of the articles you you, you wrote or someone wrote was talking about there really weren't any game changers in New England. It's like, well, I, I, Alfred, <laughs> I've seen you play and I've seen you change some games. And, and I think... Just trying to motivate these yeah, kids. That's no, it's all great. But, but, but I think early in the season, he wasn't scoring goals. And, and, and he was a midfielder for us last year. And I think he became a center forward, both in position, but in really understanding it. And the goals he scored, the ways he scored the goals late in the season really were varied, dynamic, and really strikers' goals. And so left-footed finishes, runs that were well-timed, but I think that, that's, a, that's a sign of the growth we look for. And he made growth in games and certainly uh, in, in the course of the season in a way that when you have top players like him taking on new roles and growing into them and doing it selflessly, and he'd be the first to point to his teammates about his growth and what he's done. And every goal comes with an assist. And but I would say players like uh, him and Hayes Benzin and Josh Partal, who anchored our midfield, Mason Camo and um, uh, Aiden Cullinane in the center back, uh, J.P. Hurth, who played all across our back line. We certainly had Alejandro Palacio and Silas Lawrence, who stepped into huge roles as juniors. So all those guys kind of stepped into really responsibility 
in impressive ways. And when I look at where they are compared to where they were at this point last year, it's a, a huge step forward. To to defeat, you, you touched on the, the opening quarterfinal match against Phillips Andover. To win that one in a penalty kick shootout and to kind of breathe that sigh of relief and then to know, okay, now we have to go face the top-seeded Northfield Mount Hermon on Saturday at their place. And if we win that, we got to go play Taft or Worcester Academy, happen to be Taft. What was that, those matches like? I mean, these are these are the big boys of, of Class A soccer and have been for the past uh, few years. Phillips Andover, I think, finally. And you knew, you. I talked to you in August, and you knew that Phillips Andover was going to have the ingredients for a special team this year, and they did. They put it all together. What was that like to go through those three games and just see that level of competition three games in a row? Well, I think it's in, it's incredible. So I'm, I'm actually a Phillips Andover alum, and uh, my coaching mentor is Bill Scott, who was a longtime coach there and uh, coached uh, Andover and Southfield Academy to multiple New England championships. And so it's always special to play them. And uh, he was actually at that game. And I think that to play three teams of that quality that are coached by such great people, I mean, Charlie Malcolm and Jim Burstein at NMH and Ozzie at Taft, I mean, those are great people and great leaders of programs. And so I think for us to go through <laughs> three quality games that were awesome competitive spectacles and really sportsmanlike I think that's awesome and certainly for us we like the challenge I think we Milton kids know that they have to work hard as students here and that that's a a challenge that we bring to them in the program day to day in terms of the level that we set but when you go through the class day knowing the tournament you're going to see challenging teams and I think that's only going to continue to get more and more the case with the level of coaching and the quality of the coaches that we have in the league but uh, we didn't expect it to be easy, and, and I think we always prepare our kids to do hard things well. And that's sort of, again, sort of why we challenge an early hard preseason, why we played NMH, Berkshire, Andover, Exeter, Woodstock in a preseason game to sort of play that. And then the ISL season is a, a, real, a real challenge every year and something that is a game-to-game competition where everything matters. So I think our kids hopefully get the sense of being battle-tested and being ready for big games like that. And just hope you stay healthy and can keep, keep staying alive in the tournament. You just segued me like a true podcast professional because I want I wanted to talk about the the ISL the independent school league and what kind of preparation that offers for your program now the ISL they have is a lot of top-notch class b teams with rivers and brooks and nobles you guys have been kind of the the class a top dog um you know St. Sebastian's going into the tourney as well this year but what is that like to go through that ISL schedule. A lot of these schools are in close proximity to each other, so there's a lot of built-in rivalries there, obviously geographically, and just the the 16 teams in the league and the history of the league. But what's it like to play in that league, and, and how well does it prepare you for November? Yeah, I mean, I would be first to say that it's an incredible league, and I think it's an incredible league because of the collegiality of the coaches, and I feel really privileged to be a part of that group. So certainly I think from a competitive perspective, the fact that it's a 16-team league, 15-game schedule, a true championship based on on the table in our league a win is not the same as a tie and i think to earn through the, the the season as many wins as possible knowing that that's three points on the table versus one and i think that creates a mindset of um, trying to be you know, hungry to get wins and, and and i think to be positive and and uh, not to settle for a tie and i think if you really want to win the isl you have to be able to score goals and win win games and we certainly built our championship run on defense but i think you want to win the isl you have to score goals and i think to build an offense that can do so and with con out i think early in the season we weren't scoring as many goals we didn't have as many uh, dangerous chances and so to win the isl we really had to become a better offensive team and and also kind of tighten things up losing really kind of three captains across our back line last year so we felt that the isl certainly challenged us i would certainly say that the 
Class A teams in the ISL are really good, right. and uh, Belmont Hill is a really good team, and uh, I think they could challenge a lot of teams. Did and I think BBN certainly gave us an incredible game and one of our one of our ties. So I, I would say I think the Class A teams don't get necessarily the attention and recognition they deserve broadly around New England because there are so many good Class B teams. But I think I think the ISL teams in the Class A have tended to do well. ISL nearly pulled off two championship teams this year. Nobles made a great comeback in the Class B championship, ended up losing 3-2 to two to Kimball Union Academy, which I think was was one of the, with all due respect to them, a, a kind of a surprise, I think, in this year's tournament. A, a great team, but they seem to just play their best soccer going forward. But And congrats to KUA for winning Class B. But ISL nearly had two champions this year. It had Brooks last year win Class B, and you guys nearly won Class A last year. So do you feel like, not that it needs vindication or what, or whatever the ISL, but do you feel like these last couple of years have really proven the depth and the strength of the league? Yeah, I mean, I think the reality of our schedule means that there can be only so many crossover games, so I think so. sometimes it's hard to get a sense of relative strength, and then the handful of early season games that are crossover games tend to have a ton of weight kind of in terms of kind of showing that crossover, but I would say it's great when our SL teams do well out in the tournament, and I think for us to do well, I think is a good reflection on the, on the league as a whole, and I think the preparation that comes from it. I think Nobles and Rivers, both fantastic teams. We had a fantastic game with Nobles, and I, and I think kudos to KUA and Nobles. That was a great final. It was down three nothing nobles made a push they showed right. a ton of belief they came back against us but also respect to KUA KUA travels literally travels a long way to, they play a lot of tough games a lot of tough opponents they're willing to stretch themselves and I think in a tournament that type of battle tested team does well so I wasn't surprised it was nobles and and KUA that they were there I, I certainly Rivers would have been a worthy worthy finalist as well what are the recruiting battles are just uh, that when you're bringing in players within a, a lot of your programs are, are offer some of the same things academically and, and geographic location stuff. What, what are these, what are these battles like when you're, when you're adding players to the, to the programs? And you mentioned that there's a, this kind of strong bond amongst ISL coaches. So I, I imagine it's, it's, it's always friendly, but what, what's it like when you're trying to bring new players into the program and, and other programs are trying to bring those same players in? Yeah, I think I think there is a lot of collegiality, and I think that the coaches that I admire the most are the ones who are really student and player centric and who recognize the big picture of kids. So, uh, I think for for me at least, I've been really fortunate that coaches say great things about our program, and I'm certainly celebratory of what other coaches do and, and can help kids find fits where it may not be Milton and vice versa. Um, you know, I think that there's different environments in terms of. Um, kind of academic and soccer components, I think location and access to different things. But I'm really pleased that some of my favorite kids in the league are, you know, families that I got to know and ended up at other schools for different reasons. And whether a family chooses to go to another school beyond Milton, a lot of those kids are kids I stay in touch with and try to support in the ways I can as a coach. But I think there is a lot of collegiality to help kids find great homes and great situations. And I think certainly opportunities in New England prep schools are really special and something that certainly we want to be supportive of kids finding no matter the school. Now I know comparing championships is probably like comparing your children. You could say it's hard to pick. It's hard to pick your favorite. But in 2015, you guys went undefeated and won the championship. So it was just kind of a, a run of dominance. I mean, this year you lost once. So I mean, it was, <laughs> you weren't that far off from an undefeated record. But which championship sticks in your mind more? I know sometimes we have recency bias, and whatever happened most recent is the one that we we talk about. But how do they compare to each other? Yeah, I mean, I. I I kind of think about them in, in a continuum in terms of growth, in, uh, both in myself and, and in my leadership of the program. And I think what I really like about where we are now is I think that as a 
sort of the leader of the program, I think I finally was able to really enjoy that season after we scored the second goal in the final. Yeah. And I kind of took a deep breath and was like, okay, because we had so many great pieces and such a great group of kids and we were going to graduate that group. So you kind of felt this pressure to kind of do it. And then as you sort of got further along and the kids held themselves to this such incredibly high standard, but I feel like making it really joyful. Uh, I didn't enjoy it in the same way because I felt the sort of pressure to, to finish it. And I think certainly you want to finish anything that, you, that you're that you committed to, but I think you really want to enjoy the process. And so I think we had the same visions of success. I think we even more focused on the process and sort of the journey and really kind of infusing kind of joy, kind of a, a balance with kind of focus as a key piece, improvement as a key piece, but kind of really embedding joy into the process more. And so I think for me, this was even more, and, and that was this case for last year too. I feel like Win, lose, or draw, I feel like we, we had an awesome season of growth, success, and joy. And so I really left that season with no regrets, even though there's always little things that can happen in a game that was so close, margins are tight, and one or two bounces. But, but I feel like that ability to model, like really enjoying the challenge, finding balance in that challenge and joy is kind of where we are as a program now. And I think that's something I'm really pleased about because as a parent now, and I think as someone who has more and different responsibilities, I think finding that balance, kind of modeling that balance is more important for our kids in my perspective as a coach. So... So in this ways, in those ways, this year was even more fulfilling because, and then my daughter was a part of it. And so she was there on right, the sidelines right. a lot. And my wife certainly has sacrificed a ton for our family to, for me to be able to coach and be present in these ways. And so for my daughter to have been on the sideline last year and have seen <laughs> that and really first, she's not, she's not a crier. Was seeing her cry after that game was, right. was really kind of like, how, how old is she? She's, she's <clears> eight <throat> and she's now kind of really fallen in love with the game right. and, and really understands the game now. And last year she was um, just starting to know and, and love the game. And so to see her be able to participate in this right. and, and we've got a great group of kids and a great group of kids for her to look up to as mentors. Um, that, that was her after the game when I asked you who scored and she rattled off the two names. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> she, she knew it like within, yeah. within a second. She yeah. had the goals and the assists. Yeah. She knows more about soccer than I did when I was <laughs> in high school. But, um, but I think that we talk about family and we, and, and I think, and I think to model what it is to be family is means we support family. We look out for each other like family to bring family into that space. And I think to have the opportunity to kind of celebrate our family after New England championship with so many family members, friends, former players is, is a really special thing. And I think uh, as a parent to be able to have a, my daughter be a part of it um, this year was, was really cool. Even though she was, she was three months old the first time, but, but doesn't, <laughs> doesn't remember that. Now, do you have a lot of players on the team that play other sports in Milton Academy or is it mainly just soccer players? Yeah, we do. And I, and, and we always want it to be more, um, yeah. but um, like our keeper, Davis Kahn, baseball he, player, right? Baseball, yeah. basketball. He, he was, uh, he was part of the New England championship basketball team last year in a second place uh, team in baseball last spring. Um, you know, we have a lot of kids who run track. We have some kids who play lacrosse and, and things like that. But I think there's a lot of pressure towards specialization, mm. which I think is something that's what I was going to ask you about. Yeah, how you, how yeah. you feel about that? I played three sports in college, so yeah. I, I'm, I'm someone who, and I didn't have access to club soccer as a boarding student in high school. I played soccer all the time. I think I think you need to play. We have 700 kids at our high school. We have 100 kids who play soccer. You can get you can play a lot and train a lot without needing club. But I do think. I think there's a lot of downsides to it. And I think at a boarding school where we have so many things on our campus and so much ability to do those things together while not having to sacrifice one for the other, when I think about balance, certainly clip soccer can be a great vehicle for kids, but right. I think boarding school provides a better situation for balance and growth in different ways. And, but I think, and I think that kids, if you're learning to get better at getting better, right. you're learning to grow, not learning to be good at soccer, which right. is always what I say to kids. Like you're learning to, learning to improve in life rather than learning to get better at a skill like soccer, doing different things 
is going to help you get better at other things more so than just continuing to do more soccer. So, and I'd say for our program, like where I, I think our group has been really good at sort of seeing the opportunities to take responsibility and to make things better around them. But I think for us as a program, kind of the area I want to push this is like, so what does it mean to take, to lead in our communities? And so how can we do that? And I think within soccer, sometimes it's, it, we complicate things more than we need to. Like right. kids my daughter's age are running around to play club soccer. We can do more in our towns and kind of do, how do we make soccer better rather than how can we see how soccer serves us? Right. And I think that's unfortunately, I think to have a service mindset around soccer is really different than to have a, um, a be served mindset, which I right. think the club soccer piece sometimes kind of brings. And I think, I think within our, our settings kind of leaving things better than they found it is a big right. piece of what we're trying to do. Well, we, we talk about this all the time in, in my household, my wife and I, my, my oldest son is in sixth grade. My youngest is in third grade. So he's, he's just kind of starting, but my oldest, he plays three sports, but basketball is the one he's gravitating to. And he's playing basketball year round, year round. My, my wife's like, is this the way things are now? Because when I was a kid, and like you said, Chris, like we played whatever season it was, you played that sport in that season. And now it's like, you fall in this trap where you're like, we need to do business how business is done in sports right now. Everyone's oh, if you want to get good, you got to play year round. And I wonder if it's if it's <laughs> a little more toxic than it is good right now. In my in when I'm thinking about it, well, I think as a coach, as I've gotten older, and I think having a family helps kind of prioritize in this way. But I always step back. I'm like, so what are what are we really trying to do here? Right. What, what do we need to coach? What do we need to prioritize? And um, I think. A lot of times people will say, well, like, what's the best team? Right. You're like, well, that's a great question. But what is your goal for that team? It's just the, the one that, quote, unquote, plays the best soccer. When it looks, when we look for kids in our program, we want to see the most positive kids. Hmm. So the best soccer players aren't necessarily going to be the most, the best fits for our program. And you need to be able to be selfless, willing to work, being willing to adapt. Certainly want to embrace a lot beyond soccer at Milton. And so um, you can be talented, but not positive. You can be talented and not, not necessarily make a team better. Um, so I think, um, when I look for soccer environments for like for my child, I want the mentor as much as I want any of the soccer stuff. Right. And I think, but I think there's not as much of that kind of focus around identifying what are the best teams. And, and I think I'm really fortunate and blessed that I look around New England soccer and I look at like Woody Redpath at St. Sebastian's and I look at someone like Willie Waters, who's just leaving Brooks, but like the coaches I've mentioned, Charlie Malcolm and Jim Burstein and people like Ozzy who we, we right. played against in the finals and, those are people that I would want to coach my child. And I think that I have a pretty, not every person in, in, in youth sports is the same. And I think uh, we need more good people in that space. And certainly I've been pleased that I mentioned my assistant coach, Chris Lewis, who's been a huge part of our program and was a captain of the team just before we won the championship in 2015. And he's now back as a coach in our league and coaching track as well. And one of my former players, Shay Quinton at St. George's, when we bring great people back into this space, it's a sign we're doing something right. And that's what it means when we're sort of leaving our village a little bit better. Right. Interesting perspective for sure. I love to kind of pick coaches' brains on that whole aspect because it's the the, the age of specialization has definitely arrived and it's for better or worse. Who knows? But now we're going to turn it to a, a more fun discussion. We're going to go to our extra time segment where our producer David Yaz hits us with three Soccer questions, soccer-related questions. These could be anything. We never know what David's thinking. So Chris agreed before the show to participate, so we're going to have at it. It's the end of regulation, so let's move to extra time. Yes, the pressure is on. <laughs> it is time for extra time where we throw three questions that our panelists are completely unprepared for. And uh, Coach, you're the guest, so you get to go first. And you're being questioned by an alum of Milton Academy, by the way. I want you to know that. <laughs> Class of 86. 
don't ask me what I remember about the place. And I scored one goal in my soccer career, and that was for the. Do they still call it the fourth team? Okay, that, that's it's worse than the freshman team, is what it is. And I scored on my own net. That is a true story. All right, wow. But more importantly, first question is about style of soccer play. So, clubs historically, Liverpool and Barcelona are examples. Have uh, what you might deem an offensive style of play. Numerous passes and high pressing. On the other side, some clubs are willing to so-called park the bus in front of their goal and just play defense. It, in that age-old debate of soccer is whether one is one is certainly more eventful and exciting than the other, but one might be more strategic. Where, where do you stand on that, Coach? I try not to be overly sort of pragmatic in the sense of only doing one thing. And I think at Milton, we like our kids to be well-rounded and balanced. So I think we, we like to be able to be well-rounded and balanced as a team and be able to do different things. And I try not to be stubborn and try to learn so that we only, we don't just play the ways that I am comfortable coaching or playing. But I would say one of the things that I think as a philosophy, we, we, we think our kids should be coachable and teachable and, and tactically um, sharp and, and thus able to make good and fast decisions. And so I think we, we, we do teach them and coach them to be able to play different ways and think that they can learn that. And we also think that we can coach them to make good, fast decisions together and, and create tempo and to manage tempo in a way that can allow us to control or impact games. And so um, so we really coach fast decision-making, good decision-making, and being versatile positionally and tactically so that you can respond to different games and, and not be hamstrung if you run into a team that does something you haven't seen before, <laughs> something that's a little bit different. And each of the three teams we saw in the tournament played differently and with different strengths and weaknesses. So I think that yeah. and I think that prepares kids for college too. I think for us, you have to defend to get on the field. You have to be committed to that. And I think if anything, we build more off that than the attacking pieces. But I think those two things go hand in hand in transitional moments are opportunities that in high school certainly are really important when you win it or lose it and how you respond. So I think that tempo of response is also huge for us. Excellent answer. And now you can attempt to follow that up. <laughs> Matt, I your could, thoughts, Matt? I could just say I agree wholeheartedly with mm-hmm. Coach, which I do. But I think when you when you sit back and you just load up the box and play defense, I think you're acknowledging we're at a disadvantage in talent and we're going to try to keep this scoring to a minimal, take our chances in a PK shoot. Because if you're not going to generate any attack or at least attempt to, I mean, it's hard to win that way. And I understand stylistically why, why a team would do that. There are times where teams are overmatched, and that really is their best their best way to try to win a game. But to have that as like your culture of your style of play, I don't think would ever be right to just sit back and, and let them bring the attack and you just – play defense the entire match. I, I just don't think that's smart necessarily. I think, like Coach said, you need to have balance. You need to be able to win different ways. And I think the best teams are are explosive and, and get out on the attack and get out and are the aggressor and try to force the issue a little bit. I think that's how you're going to have success. So there is no rule or mechanism in soccer to prevent a, a slowdown style, is there? You know what I mean by that? I mean, if a team... I mean, it depends how you're trying to slow it down. Certainly, if a team is trying to sort of kind of slow the build, kind of keep it in the back and sort of be slower to penetrate. I mean, in in the final, we were happy to to take control of the ball and really try to find our opportunities. So I think the tempo of that game was slower than some other games. And I think, but I would say if a team is is playing slower, you you can try to make them play faster by by pressuring and and pressing the ball and Mm. and playing a higher line. I would say, I think kind of playing and receiving pressure can be a great tactic and and I think there have been games where we've 
had more of the ball and had less of the chances and vice versa. But I, to, the, to the extent that that's a singular way to play, I think that's a tough way to coach kids to develop uh, as well as to, to learn. And I think, but if kids don't know how to buckle up and play defense and get into defensive right. shape either, it's not a great thing. And I would say a lot of the kids who think they're players, when it comes time to like understanding defensive concepts or getting into defensive shape and the teams that have had success historically in the tournament and my high school coach, he taught defensive organization structure in a brilliant way. And I think he had a ton of success because that picture was um, easy to paint and hard to break down for other teams. So packing it in versus being organized is I think a different thing. And I think ironically, not, not enough experienced soccer players, I think are as defensively well coached as you might expect for the amount of time they played soccer. Right. I think, I think that's a great distinction packing in versus being well organized. I think when you pack it in, you've lost the mental game already, because if I'm a coach facing a team that's packing it, I'm saying this team can't beat us. I mean, they, and they're acknowledging they can't beat us. That's why they're packing it in. So just, you know, take it to them. It's going to happen. I mean, I, I just think you lose the mental edge as soon as you do that without the organization. Very good. Question number two. Matt, I watched too much Netflix, and I saw the uh, David Beckham documentary, which recounts in great detail the infamous moment in the 1998 FIFA World Cup when Beckham was assessed a, a red card mm-hmm. after what was clearly an intentional act, but one could argue minor act. To this observer's eyes, that's what it looked like. But anyway, he gets the red card. He's removed from the game. Of course, by rule, the team's not allowed to replace him. And he becomes a national villain. So my question to you, and Matt, you, Matt, you can go first on this. Is is there any element of the red card penalty, or the yellow card penalty for that matter, I guess, that, that needs reform? Is it, is it is there anything you would change? No, I think it's fine. I mean, I think it's all, it, it, it's subjective. I mean, it's it's depending on the official, <laughs> as is anything. I mean, what, right. what, what one official sees is a yellow card. I mean, how many times in a soccer game and a ref pulls out a yellow and you're like, that's not a yellow. Come on. But but it's, it's totally subjective, but I'm fine with the, the way it is. And I'm fine with the logistics of the red card, meaning you can't, I mean, you can't replace that player. I mean, it adds a, a tremendous wrinkle to soccer where now you're a man up and mm-hmm. strategies change and the team that's now a man down has to, has to change the way they play. So I actually, I really like that aspect of soccer and I don't think, I don't think I would change anything about it. It would be cool to see a baseball game where you're down to one outfielder. Yeah, you take you know, the left fielder <laughs> off, you take the right fielder. Okay, yeah, yeah, I mean, come on, any yeah. sport, any basketball, okay. Yeah, that was five, five on four, four now, sure. let's go. Yeah. That's exciting. Right. Coach, your thoughts? Yeah, I think um, I was talking with a coach recently and about the potential for like a third category of, of card. Um, but I think um, I think at the end of the day, I think the the key question is one of decision making for refs. And I think that there's going to be some subjective pieces to it. Um, I, I think um, so. I think as long as the standards around what is a card and, and, and what is a red card is clear, then I think there's going to be some very varying interpretation. But I think to that extent, we just need to continue to prioritize having great refs and I think supporting the refs in the game. And I think we were fortunate to have really fantastic refereeing in our in our tournament games. Um, and it is a really, really, really hard job because mm-hmm. you do hang some of that in the balance. At the high school level, where I care most about cards is where it's sort of like injury stuff and physical stuff. And I think at the, at the highest levels, the fact that there's some of the tactical fouls that you could have two what I would say are like non-egregious yellow cards, tactical yellows, and you can be off of the game. I think that's where I think versus like a clattering tackle where you really put someone at risk. Are those both equally meriting someone being out and impacting a game? I'm not quite sure. Um, 
And I think that's where there could be some other consideration for different categories of cards, which may not be leading to a, a dismissal if it's something. But I'd say, in general, refereeing is a hard job, and we just need to focus on supporting our refs and getting more people into it. One other thing that soccer gets right that I'd love to see other sports follow is referring to the ref as sir. I love, mm. like, I mean, think about football, basketball. You're yelling at the ref, but you're referring to him as sir. I, I mean, I, I love that aspect. You're screaming at the ref, but you're calling him sir. So it's like that kind of built in respect, even though you're you're screaming at the guy. I just, I love that. I, I just love that kind of uh, terminology. I like that, soccer. too. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen Earl Weaver right. charge out to hey, the mound. Sir. Yeah. <laughs> sir, I have a bone to pick with you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Very good. All right. Final question. We saved the fun question for last. And uh, Coach, you can go first on this one. So, American sports fans can be sometimes appalled at the thought of advertising logos on uniforms. Soccer fans know that it's been long part of the sport, and so they're not at all phased when they see the likes of Jägermeister or <laughs> 1888-BET or even a one-time advertiser, which was a no-smoking campaign where the patch just said no smoking. Commonplace in soccer. So I want you to imagine if you owned a soccer club, and you you could procure any sponsor you like in one of the, these three categories. Who would it be? Your categories are soft drink, fast food chain, or video streaming service. So let your imagination run wild. This is your team you own. You've got the uniform. You're about to emblazon a patch on there. Do I get to pick which company within those categories? Yes, exactly. Okay. Right. Right. So, so I, I mean, I think so. I would say probably a sh- <laughs> so. If I were to think about it from a, from a business perspective, I would try to generate the most revenue to put back into cultivating the game. So I do think that's like the missing piece of all this. And I think that there's a lot of money in the game, but the money's not serving the game. So to the extent I would have a business-informed decision, I would think about that. And to the extent it was a values-informed thing, I would certainly choose streaming and, and say that rather than fast food or, or soft drinks. And then hopefully have one that's a values-aligned platform that could... Um, generate enough revenue to do something. I mean, there's a lot of money coming into Apple TV right now with MLS and Messi, and you okay. think like what a fraction of that could do in the communities to provide access and and service. And like club soccer costs a lot of money. My daughter's town program it costs 160. If you keep investing in sort of local infrastructure, there's a lot that can happen with that. And I think as more as in investment is in soccer, and I think like we have one of our former players going to Pawtucket, mm-hmm. seeing teams invest in that, but do it in a way that's like doing it in a values-informed way, hopefully, is, is, is the goal. And um, so I think streaming oh. would be the best of those, probably. And, you, and you're going with Apple TV? Apple TV, I guess. Okay. See, to, yeah. this was supposed to be the fun question. Man, buddy. that was he, an he, incredible. But, but, but that but turned instead, into a scholar answer. Well, I, mean. I know. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm applauding that effort and noticing that he went with the streaming service. But if you go with Apple TV, now you got the whole Apple empire behind you. <laughs> I see what you did there, Coach. Well done. Matt, your thoughts? I feel like an idiot because I was just going to say <laughs> I was just going to say Mountain Dew, or something. <laughs> like just throw throw the Mountain Dew logo. See, yeah, on. if I, you I, had a green or a yellow yeah. uniform with Mountain Dew on there, that's, I don't know that's why. I've always, had a, I've always loved Mountain. It's terrible for you. And I don't. I try not to drink a lot of soda, but I love Mountain Dew, so I throw. But the coach's answer was far superior to that one. Far more well thought out, and he had no idea that question was coming, which is why he wins Class A championships, well, <laughs> and I don't. Well, there are no losers in extra time. You both did very well. And as a parting gift, I have a six-pack of uh, Mountain Dew for you both <laughs> and a uh, three-month trial to Apple TV. So, enjoy. Back to you, Matt. Oh, man, David, great stuff as always. And Chris, I'm just, I think Coach Chris just sent the bar way higher than, than anyone else has ever. It's a uh, Hall of Fame performance. Yeah, I mean, Hall of Fame performance, but... Chris, thanks again for, for joining us today, and happy Thanksgiving and happy holidays, and congrats again to the program on the championship. 
Well, thank you again for all the work you do and for hosting me today. Absolutely. Thanks again to Chris Kane for joining the podcast. I'm Matt Langoni. Thanks for listening. New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast is produced by David Yaz and is a Siemens Media Production. You've been listening to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast. Or visit anysoccerjournal.com forward slash podcast. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful.